there was a very specific person who targeted me. This attending would berate me. I got fed up and I called the chief and I said to her, you gonna fire me today. He got one more time to say something to me and I promise I will throw this whole thing away. You tell him, don't call me, don't talk to me, don't even look at me, don't even think about me or else he and I are definitely gonna get into it. What's his oh, yeah. name? Where he at? Chavez, I'll say his name. Oh, get cold. Damn, she calling him out. Yup, yup. Look, we all got different needs, wants, and goals in life. As doctors, locum tenens definitely needs to be a part of that conversation. But you might wonder, how do I find out if locums is good for me? Here's my answer. Go to an unbiased, informative source like locumstory.com. You'll learn all the ins and outs of locums, details on travel and housing, how to find different jobs, tax information, and more. Get a comprehensive view of locums and decide if it's right for you at locumstory.com. Link is in the show notes. Have you heard of the Healthy Conversations podcast? If you're looking for a podcast that moves the health conversation forward, then I highly recommend Healthy Conversations, the acclaimed podcast from CVS Health. Hosted by Dr. Daniel Kraft, the Harvard and Stanford trained physician scientist, Healthy Conversations provides both inspiration and cutting edge information about the forefront of medical practice. You can find it wherever you're listening to Docs Outside the Box. And don't forget to subscribe. And to make it easier, the link is in the show notes. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I'm your host, Dr. Neat. I am joined by... Dr. Renee, Jazz Hands. Jazz Hands. That's something <laughs> new, yet still corny. I'm corny. I never, I never said I was cool. That's true, though. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Really embrace your corniness. It's all good. Exactly. It's good to be corny. I'm fine with it. <laughs> Y'all. This is a Q&A episode. This is where you guys submit your questions. We answer them. Sometimes you guys even submit feedback to us. And we'll go ahead and kind of read that on screen and let y'all know what we think about your feedback. But listen, if you are, before we get too far into the episode, let me just tell you real quick how to submit questions to us. It's, you have three ways. First is by sending us a text message. Very simple. You text us at 833-230-2860. Once again, that's 833-230-2860. Make sure you use the face that Renee is texting us, all right? Because we can see that. All right, make sure you use that face. All right, you did study face. All right. <laughs> then the second way is you can slide into our DMs. Hit us up at Instagram or on Instagram or even on Twitter at Docs Outside the Box. Ain't nobody checking Twitter. Nobody checking Twitter? I ain't checking the Twitter account. You All checking right. the Twitter account? Check us out on Instagram. <laughs> are we Docs Outside the Box or Docs Outside the Box podcast? I can't remember. We are Docs Outside the Box on IG. Okay. Check us out on Docs Outside the Box. <laughs> and then the last, and definitely not the least, way that you can get in contact with us is by going straight to our website, which is Dr. Need Darko. Go to the contact page, and there's a simple area where you can leave us some messages and let yep. us know Dr. what Need you Darko. think. Com. Those are the three ways, all right? So we got two questions for today's show. One of them is something that we probably covered in a previous episode a long time ago, um, back in late 2022. And Repetition then, is key. And then another one kind of goes <laughs> a little bit on the backs of what we just recently talked about, which is kind of physician bullying, physician targeting. Um, but before we get into that, let's jump into really quickly the fact that you just got back 
mm-hmm. from doing your weekend of um, what's the way you want to describe it? My weekend your of call. Weekend. <laughs> My weekend of call. Your ten ninety nine weekend. <laughs> My sixty two, actually sixty three and a half hour this weekend because they asked me to come in an hour earlier. But yeah, I did a sixty three and a half hour shift. Um, and it actually wasn't as bad this week. It wasn't as bad. Explain this week. why it wasn't so bad. So this week. usually, usually I go to the hospital on that Friday night. I'm like literally there, usually until maybe Saturday morning. Like that's usually how it works. So in like, house in the hospital. in house in the hospital. Now this is this is a callback um, call, so I don't have to be in house. Unless there are certain things going on, very right. So you could be you could be in your hotel room, and if someone comes in, you may or may not have to see them and go in house. Exactly. Got gotcha. you. Okay. So usually on Friday night when I come in, there's always something going on on labor and delivery where I have to stay. So this Friday, this past Friday, I came on. There was a patient who had just gotten there who wanted a repeat C-section. She had broken her water, and then there was another patient who was laboring actually. And um, I was like, all right, cool. You know, the patient who was laboring was maybe about six centimeters or so. Um, So I went back, you know, did the C-section after I checked the patient who was laboring. By the time I got out of the C-section, the patient who was laboring was ready to deliver. And that was it. That was it. Um, So I ended up leaving the hospital after those two deliveries and went back to my hotel room. And was able to sleep the entire night. But I almost got you shot first. What? Oh. You want to talk about how I almost got you shot? Yeah. So I almost got Renee shot, y'all. And uh, killed. So we, shot and killed. <laughs> so normally we use Airbnbs when we do locums. Ciao. Mainly because when you're at an Airbnb, you kind of have an entire apartment to yourself. I kind of, I'm tired of, of hotel rooms. I just get sick and tired of hotel rooms. Ciao. It'll be nice to have a kitchen. It's nice to have like almost like a full suite of things that you can do to kind of have more of a healthier stay, right? If you're going right. to be away and gone, particularly for me who's away for like a week at a time, I like to be comfortable, right? Yeah. And oftentimes you'll see that these Airbnbs are just the same price as a hotel. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're even cheaper. So we found this Airbnb that's like definitely less than 15 minutes away from the hospital that has a kitchen, has a, it's a kitchenette, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a kitchen. It's a full kitchen. It has a kitchen. It has a bedroom, and it has a bathroom. It's a lot of space. Small, yeah, small living room area, yeah. As a matter of fact, I like it also because if we were coming to visit you or vice versa, I could bring the kids, mm-hmm. you could bring the kids, and they kind of have their space to play and so forth. Um, the only thing about this spot is it's nice, but um, what we decided to do is to make an arrangement with the person, with the host, outside of Airbnb so we can get better pricing. Mm-hmm. And Airbnb always warns you about that. Right. And they were right. You know. <laughs> but, it, well, it, I mean, it's, anyway, so I'll let you tell the story. Well, so I get off at... Oh, so, well, hold on real quick. So now that we don't use Airbnb to, right. to book this, we contact the host directly and say, hey, for search and such dates, we need the spot. And what's going to be your rate? And then I will look at the rate in comparison to what I see on Airbnb or even the hotel. She gives me a good rate. Okay, we say bet. I pay her through, you know, whatever means. Venmo or whatever. Venmo, Zelle, what have you. I get a receipt. 
and then we stay there. That's it. And then when I, when it's time for me to finish and I do my invoicing and give it to the hospital, I literally give them the receipt she gives me and mm-hmm. then I get reimbursed that way. So right. everything basically, so basically we removed, we removed the middle, the man. middle man of Airbnb yeah. for cheaper costs. So okay. usually what happens with this particular property, because you're going directly to the host Usually what happens is she will text us. And sometimes she texts us a little too much and she becomes a little bit too invasive. Um, but she will usually text us on the day of like, hey, what time are you getting there? I just want to know because of whatever random reason that she gives. And which we appreciate, though. W- which we appreciate. But she will usually text us. So I leave the, ho- I leave the hospital that night and it's like it's like midnight. At this point. So usually I will leave the hospital or excuse me, usually I'll leave home and go straight to the hospital. So I didn't get a chance to actually check in. Right. So I realized at midnight when I'm literally at this lady's property, like I'm in my car at this lady's property in her driveway. I realized she didn't text me. And she usually does. So I call me and I'm like, hey, did you get a text from this woman? Because I didn't get a text and I don't want to go in. I don't want to go up to the door and hit the keypad and walk in on somebody at their Airbnb if it's not supposed to be me. (laughs) Especially if she didn't change the keypad. Especially if she didn't change the keypad. Which she she usually says she does, but... You know, you, you can never, you never you can know. Never, you can never, you can never be too, you know, too yeah, how careful. Do you know? How do you right. know? Right. How do you actually know? So, um, and even if not, right, the point is that the keypad, you're going to hear somebody trying to get in. And let me tell you guys, we are out in the country. <laughs> yeah, the lighting of this place is not the greatest at times. And stuff. Not the greatest. It is pitch black. Yeah. Okay, we are out in the country where there are like farms and fields and things like that. And I was like, listen, I know exactly where I am. (laughs) I lived in rural communities. I know exactly where I am and I know everybody carries out there. So I am not going to be the one to be pushing on somebody's keypad for them to not ask, who is it? How can I help you? Did you know you have the wrong place at the wrong time? No. So I decided to call this woman. She didn't answer because it was so late. I think she was sleeping. I text her. She didn't answer. It was so late. And I was like, let me tell you something, Nee. I am not going to be shot through somebody's door. So I left and went to a hotel instead. Yeah. But. Yeah. So then (laughs) we get a text message like at three in the morning saying, hey, I don't know if you remember, but you (laughs) You had can't knee had canceled because one of the days I wasn't able to guarantee because someone else was staying there. Long story short, I had canceled. She had refunded me the money, but I never took it off of our calendar as a place that we were staying. So I totally forgot. And if it's on our calendar, it's happening. Right. Sure like that. If it's not on our calendar, it's not happening. So right. Just so y'all know, if you ever want to book a meeting with me or whatever it is, if it's on our calendar, it's going to happen. If it does not on our calendar, it ain't going to happen. So <laughs> us staying or her staying at this place was on the calendar. So I was like, what are you talking about? Yep. I did it. And mind you, he is taking, the one that does the... I took care of it. He everything. takes care of all and of that. And I was like, oh, 
cow. I forgot. Old sugar honey iced tea. I forgot. I what do you call it? I did. We did get a refund for this spot, and I was like, I was shook the rest of the night. I was like, oh snap! Like something could have happened bad. Oh yeah. So long story short, she ended up staying at a hotel. Yeah. And um, it turned out to be good, but I still had you out there at like midnight, even out. Possibly knocking on the door of someone who's going to be like, yo, what you doing here? Basically. State your name, Herp, you know? State your name, yeah, if, if you got that far. If I, exactly, if I got that far. But anyway, I'm glad I had the intuition not to do it uh, because obviously someone was staying at that Airbnb um, on that day. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad I didn't have, uh, you know, I didn't ignore the, the, my intuition and just... And just go in. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you so. really wanted that insurance money, didn't Oof. you? <laughs> Speaking of, so there's stuff on TV right now of somebody who like. Anyway, before we get down the path, <laughs> let's let's shift directions real quick. Let's talk about some trends that are going on on social media specifically. Let's talk about IG. Dr. Mike, one of the famous mm. uh, Instagram doctors out there. I think he's from around this area, actually. He's from Is Jersey. He? Yeah, he's from Morristown. Oh, I didn't know that. I did think he did his residency. Anyway, he around this area. Um, I didn't so know that. Dr. Mike uh, did a, a recent uh, post on Instagram and probably some other places where he's talking about how many years or how many years it took him to go through from college all the way to finishing residency and then what's the result in student loan debt. Mm -hmm. And then it's actually like a bunch of other uh, influencers who are physicians and we're talking about from radiologists to anesthesiologists to OB-GYN doctors who are also doing the same thing. So I'm going to play a little portion of it and then we're going to talk about thoughts on this. Are we ready? I went to school for 10 years and it cost roughly half a million dollars. Four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, three years of residency, and I'm now making it rain with $200,000 of debt. hours. Which equates to approximately 12 years. I'm in debt. I'm still in debt. I only had about $160,000 in debt, which is notably less than the average, but still a lot of money. 16 years. In school and training to be a urologist. I ended up with around $300,000 in debt. So in the UK, you have to go to medical school for around five to six years, and then there's about 10 years of postgraduate training to become a surgeon. And I don't even want to think about the amount of money I've had to spend to get here or the debt I'm yet to pay. It's been about 20 years until I've reached the most senior level here. $309,820 in student loan debt, a number that still haunts me to this day. After 14 years and a quarter of a million dollars later, here I am, an interventional radiologist. God, damn, that's a lot of debt. That's a lot of debt. That that's is a lot, lot of, of debt. That's a lot of people. It's so, a lot of debt. I was thinking, like, we should, like, do, like, a stitch of this, mm -hmm. you know, and put this on IG and kind of just show, like, our reaction or at least my reaction to it and just say from my schooling, because my schooling is what? Four of college, four of med school, that's what, eight? Mm -hmm. Then five of residency, mm -hmm. that's 13. And then one, one of fellowship. One of fellowship. So that's a total of 14 years and graduate and also an additional year, or not even additional, but also um, yeah, MBA, it. MBA training. Right. That's, yeah, in addition to, but so, not, not adding to your time. Right. So that was $242,000 of student loan debt. And then we throw in there, yeah, we didn't deferment, pay. Deferment. Deferment, forbearance for five to six years. And that's an additional 90000 of debts for a grand total of $332,000 of student loan debt. Yeah, mine and was then, almost identical. And then all of a sudden you come in and with your ring. da 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 da, da. 
but <laughs> she, she just, this ain't no average red, <laughs> marriage. This is a woman who also went to the same med school as I did, got the same MBA program I went to, and also deferred and forbeared, and you got the grand total of? $330,000. For a total of, do the math, $662,000 of student <laughs> loan debt. Damn. So I was, I was looking at this post and a lot of people are doctors, a lot of people who are, you know, people who are not in the medical world. They're just like, damn, how you do this? How you plan on doing this? Thank you for sharing this and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think people are still shocked at the amount of debt that physicians carry. Yeah. But I think if you're not in the medical realm, I think a lot of people don't give a damn. Yeah, of course not. Because yeah. they think, well... You're a doctor, you're gonna make a lot of money, so what you complaining about? Oh yeah. <laughs> which is kinda true, which is not kinda true also. Right? Because if you're not prepared for it, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. It's a major problem. But I also think that if the public knew how it how the debt and the thought process of what you're going to be making in that respective specialty mm-hmm. with that debt, if they knew I'm talking about the public knew the decisions that we're making, i.e. where we're going to work or mm-hmm. what kind of specialty we're going to go to and how it kind of leads to more disparities, particularly in primary care, mm-hmm. I think they would be more like, oh, we got to do something about this. Maybe. Right? Maybe. You really? You don't think it'll affect them? Nah. <laughs> I don't think people care that much. People got other problems. This, these first world problems. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think people right. would care. You might be right. Right? Because be right. honestly, if people were going to care, it would have happened already. Because the, really, the people... The people who have the decision-making power to affect some of these things, they don't care. So why would the public care? Mm. Right? Damn, you're so. just making my heart break just like that. Yeah. I thought you were going to support me on that. I think the public would care. No, I don't think the public would I mean, because if you go to, like, rural neighborhoods, like, their issue is, is that, well, they lack doctors all around. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, like, PCPs... I'm talking about internal medicine doctors. I'm talking about family doctors. These are literally the gatekeepers of the healthcare mm-hmm. system. Yeah. And they carry the biggest burden. They take care of the sickest patients. They have the largest amount of patients. And mm-hmm. then they farm out certain things that they can't uh, do. They send that out to different specialties, yeah. surgery, OB, um, endocrinology. What you know? I don't have to explain this stuff. Right. But the people who do the most work and take care of the most patients and have the least... Um, area for making a mistake. Right. There's less of those people. They get paid the less. Mm-hmm. They're straddle of a ton of student loan debt. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, that it is what it is. But I, I honestly don't think the public is going to be like, oh, decrease the student loan debt for doctors. <laughs> I don't think that that's a fight. Or at least that, we'd be last online. Well, I don't think that's a fight that they're going to take on because they're going to be like, wow, you guys make so much money. So... And whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter. The perception is the reality. So I'm interested. What y'all think? Text us at 833-230-2860. Do you think the public should care that doctors, who also <laughs> are going to be bringing in guaranteed a six-figure salary, that the public should care that a lot of doctors are graduating with a ton of student loan debt? <laughs> that would take several years for them to pay off. Yeah. Because the other thing, too, is that people make money, right? Let's say, for example, like the radiologist. Um, is, I forget what he said, like 200, a quarter of a million, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like you can take all of your salary for that entire year mm-hmm. and pay off your debt. Like, I get you it. still got to yeah. eat, you still got to live, like, in a place, right? I'm not talking about just live, live. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about, like, you got to li- have a place to live, you got to pay for that. You know, like, you got to have a girlfriend that you're not going to tell <laughs> after a year that you're going to another state. Like, there's a Don't lot of different that things. again. There's a lot of different things. Don't start that again. 
Well, anyway, listen. Yeah. Let's let's. Um, but I do think that we should create like a stitch about this, like sure. a reaction piece on it, so we can talk sure. more about this. I think we just did it. Yeah, Alfred, hook that up. Can you make like a little <laughs> video for us for to put out there on Instagram? But listen, let's get into our first question. But before we do that, we gotta take a break. We gotta pay the bills. We'll be right back. What's changed in healthcare? The opportunities, the lifestyle, and you. Now's the perfect time to explore locum tenens and see how it might fit into your career story. Trust me, this is not a one-size-fits-all solution for everyone, and the variety of opportunities might surprise you. I recommend starting your research at locumstory.com, an unbiased, educational resource about locum tenens. You're going to find stories of locum physicians from all walks of life, so you get a bigger picture of the diverse options. The Locum Story website also has a tool that lets you explore locum's pay and demand for your specialty and even compare to different locum tenants agencies. There's even a simple quiz to see if locum's is a right fit for you. Locum's could be an essential part of your career that adapts to your needs. Do your own research at locumstory.com. It's easy. Link is in the show notes. Hey guys, we are back. All right, so our first question comes from Instagram. And this says, should I get an MBA or an MHA or a JD, some type of dual degree while in medical school? I'm going to preface this by saying that we talked about getting an MBA, the pros and cons Mm -hmm. of it on episode 318. This came, this will be in the show notes, but basically this episode was produced like, I think we released it like November of 2022. Mm -hmm. And in that episode, we talked about what an MBA is, how much it, how much it costs, and, you know, what you should be thinking about using your MBA for and is, does it make sense for you to get it while in residency or right before residency or after residency? With that being said, let me just do some standards real quick. Yeah. Some people who may not have listened to that episode, they may want to know, well, what is an MBA? An MBA basically is a graduate degree, and I took notes, that provides theoretical and practical training for business or investment management. An MBA is designed to help graduates gain a better understanding of general business management functions. So basically, an MBA is a master's of business administration. Yes. <laughs> basically. You said everything but that. Well, okay, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's what it is. Master of Business Administration. Mm-hmm. Okay. A MHA is Mastering Leadership and Management Tools to Effectively Run the Business Side of Healthcare Delivery and Financing Organizations and to Manage Teams of Healthcare Professionals. Okay. That's what the actual literature says, or that's what the definition says. Okay. The types of jobs that you can expect for MHA are Director of Hospital Operations, a Clinic Manager, Director of Patient Safety. Director of Business Development, Chief Executive Officer, Chief Nursing Officer. And then you have a Master's of Public Health, where the focus is preparing for a career in population health and community awareness. Emphasis is on the practical practical aspects of public health, as well as in-depth information about disease and research methods. The type of jobs you can get are community outreach coordinator. What is going on with me? I can't read. (laughs) It's late. Outreach coordinator, health educator health engagement marketing manager, epidemiologist, environmental health scientist, the list yeah. goes on. Um, so let's go back to MBA because that's what we know most mm-hmm. about, right? right? So we did a four-year dual degree program where we got our DO degree as well as our MBA degree. 
Um, we did our programs mainly during um, the summertime for our first two years, yep. right? So our first year, that summer in between our first and second year, we did a, our MBA studies. Second to third year, same thing. And then we took some online courses during our clinicals. Normally, if you're getting an MBA without going through a medical school, you have to take the GMAT. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're in a dual degree program, you don't have to. They'll accept your MCAT scores. Right. Um, I can't recall if you have to do an essay or anything like that. I can't, <clears throat> I can't remember, but I don't think you need to. Yeah, well, I think, it, I think it's also probably dependent on the school that you go to. So that might, that might have something to do with it. Some MBA programs will have you do an extra year. Ours didn't. You know, our MBA program was through our medical, was in conjunction with our medical school. But the caveat was that we had to complete both medical school and business school in, in that four-year time frame. Yes. Yeah, whereas some other programs would just say, hey, in between like your second and third year, you're going to take, take a, year a year off, off. and you're just going to do one MBA. year of MBA. Mm -hmm. So whatever you are looking at with these programs, the most important thing is, you know, one, do you want to do this? What do you really want to do with your career? As well as how much is it going to cost, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you look at the average MBA program that's affiliated with a dual degree program, we're talking anywhere between $50,000 to like $118,000, $120,000. That's just the MBA program alone? Yes, yes. What? In a, yes, so you say you're adding that amount possibly in addition on top of your medical school training. Whoa. So that's, that's a lot. Whoa. You know, so ours I think was like $28,000 I think or $30,000. Yeah, it was like 20, yeah, it was like 20 some odd thousand. That was right. a long time ago, though. That was a long time ago, but it, it also, I believe, was discounted. Mm -hmm. I believe it was discounted because we were affiliated with the medical school. Yeah. So they discounted that. Now, the question of should you get it before or after, the, the key question, the reason I ask, what do you want to do is, is I'm going to be very honest, if you are going into residency, there's not going to be much time for you to really exercise those MBA skills during your residency unless you plan on doing some type of online business or some type of business while you're in residency or some type of consulting work while you're in residency. And as I would say, good luck trying to be able to you know, carve out time to really like exercise those skills. Because the key thing is obviously you know, getting the knowledge, but I think their true flex, the true win is... Can you exercise those skills, you know, in whatever business that you're going to do mm -hmm. or whatever exercise that you're going to do? Are you going to be able to use it? So for me, I finished my MBA, then I went into residency, and I did not use it at all for five years. Mm -hmm. Actually, I didn't use it all for six years. So residency and training. And then when I came out, you know, maybe after a couple of years... And then we started doing like locums. Mm -hmm. Then I think we started using some of those MBA skills when we started to figure out how we're going to pay, pay off our debt, maybe a little bit more. And now that we're running our separate businesses, yeah, we're using these MBA skills. But we're talking about roughly about six years later, mm -hmm. seven years later that we started using it. The question is, is, is it worth it to get it before then or just get it afterwards? I don't know. And I think that's where the, the, the person who's in medical school or who's going into medical school and deciding, do they want to add on this debt? Some of these things they need to think about. Yeah. Right? Like, are they really into business? Is there something that's really attracting them that they think that, you know, maybe I could even take some time off, like take a sabbatical after medical school so that you can use these skills 
and then go into residency because residency is going to take a lot of time. That's how that's my thoughts. So. Well, yeah, I don't. Well, I don't know about that because the question is how how are you going to use that skill in just a year's time if you if you do kind of like a gap year, if you will, between medical school and residency. How you know how much are you going to use those skills in that short of a time um, that it will actually be useful, you know, to you? I don't know, um, but I think that I think it all depends on, like you said, what do you plan on doing with your career? Now, I will say this: there are different types of um, training programs that you can go to. For example. There are residencies that are administrative in nature, right? So if you decide, you know what, maybe that gap year that you're talking about looks like an administrative residency before you go into your clinical residency or after you go into your clinical residency, right? What residencies do that? Administrative? Yeah. There are administrative, like there are there are some institutions that have like oh, an yeah, administrative yeah, residency. Yeah. yeah, I'll put those links. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, there are um, some institutions that have an actual administrative residency, and it's usually about one year. I think no more than two years of an administrative residency, but those do exist. So you know, if you're looking to go into administration. That might be something that you consider because, yeah, you might then use your MBA skills um, and and be very um, just be in a in a way that you can use it very practically. Right. Use it in a way that's very practical for you. Um, So, yeah, getting the MBA, getting an MBA is not a necessity to be in an administrative position. Right. So outside of talking about administrative residencies, right? So if you wanted to be chief medical officer or if you wanted to be CEO of a hospital, right? Like it's it's not absolutely necessary. I'll be, I'll be very honest. There's plenty of chief executive officers, chief medical officers or any other position in the C-suite where there's doctors there who don't have an MBA right. or an MHA or a JD mm-hmm. or an MPH. Just so you guys know, just laying it down, there's plenty of that going around. Right. So you don't necessarily need that level of yeah. a graduate degree in order to do those positions. So if that's what you're thinking, like, oh, well, I want to get an MBA because I want to be CMO. I want to be, you know, um, I want to be CEO. It might help you. But at the same time, it's not necessary. Um, what's going to be, I think, what's, what I think is going to be probably more um, impressive. I don't know if that's the word, is kind of your experience. You know, um, the experience is really what's going to make the difference, right? What have you done? Have you sat on boards? If you sat on boards, what has, and what has actually been your role on those boards, right? What are the things that you're doing outside of your clinical practice that, you know, that have, um, that showcase skills that you could use in the C-suite? Um, because that that's actually going to make a difference. Now, if you have an MBA, but you haven't demonstrated any skill, then it's like, all right, so you yeah. went to school, you got good grades, that's but, nice. But one thing that we also need to, I would just want to say is, 
I want to talk about the people who are interested in getting those dual degrees, who are just interested because they just want to be into that, because they are interested in that, right? Like that. They want the, the they letters. They just want the, well, they want the letters, they want the knowledge, whichever way you want to think about okay, it. Like gotcha. they are hardcore about that topic and they want to get it, right? Like those are people who, whatever we say, they're going to get it. And mm -hmm. that's fine. Like if you really want the knowledge from an MBA or you just really want the legal aspects from a JD or whatever from any of mm -hmm. those degrees in between, then yeah, go ahead and get that. Like that is something that you really seek and is going to make you better. The caveat is, is that when we did, even though I did not use my MBA uh, afterwards during that six to seven year period, to be really honest with you, Getting the MBA changed my perspective on medicine big time. Yes. So just getting the knowledge yes. was a game changer for me. Yes. It helped me to really understand the business of medicine. It helped me to understand the motivations of hospitals, the motivations of um, you know healthcare organizations, pharmaceutical companies, the government, and even the government, and how it relates to us as physicians. That was a complete game changer. And I'll be very honest with you, even during residency, although I wasn't using my MBA, it didn't mean that I wasn't thinking in an MBA way. Mm -hmm. Like, how can we cut costs here? How can we be a little bit more efficient here? How can I get paid a little bit more? Um, those are things that I was thinking about when I, when I was a resident. And I think when I jumped into being, well, as soon as I finished training and now I was on my own working, and yes, mm -hmm. I started working doing as a locum tenens doc, right? Mm -hmm. Which means I was kind of taking care of everything on my own from, you know, my own healthcare to my own uh, medical malpractice at times to all of these different things. That's when I was like, I can be more efficient with this. I can be, you know, I can pay myself more if I follow these tax principles. All of these different things per se weren't me like utilizing an MBA, but I was thinking in a more efficient manner. And mm -hmm. I think that was very helpful. But... I do believe that in order to run a successful business, in order to understand the legal side of medicine, in order to understand how we, let me look at my notes real quick, in order to prepare for a career in population health, I do not think it is absolutely mandatory that you get those degrees right. in order to have an impactful degree in that. So whoever wrote that, I hope they, they understand that. Yeah. Because that's a ton of additional debt. That, that you, is a lot of additional debt. That we're talking about realistically may take about 10 to 15 years for you to get a return on investment on yeah. it. If you do it prior to medical school. Yeah. Or prior to graduating from medical school. Right. You know, right. I don't know. Yeah. So we didn't give an answer to that person, but I think hopefully um, they kind of understand the gravity of the decision that they're going to mm -hmm. make. And I think the key things are understanding, one, is this something that you really, really like? Two, is this something that you're prepared to pay for? Three, do you have a plan to use it after medical school, right? If not, then you may want to consider getting it after residency. And if that passion or if that mm -hmm. want is still there, then go, you know, go and do it. The other thing is if you do it after residency, whatever job you take or whatever private practice, to, practice that you're in, more than likely they have some form of tuition reimbursement if you're going to get this additional degree. So that's mm -hmm. one thing to consider. A lot of hospitals give RNs the ability to get additional degrees. Right. Um, and they definitely give doctors an opportunity to get additional degrees, such as an EMBA or an online MBA or an executive MBA, or even like we described before, a uh, MPH. I don't mm -hmm. know about getting a JD because I don't know if the hospitals really want doctors suing them and all <laughs> Doctors suing themselves, all that stuff. Well, I, don't know. I mean, there, so. there are a lot of legal implications in medicine. So, I mean, you never know. Tell me. You never know. But listen, I think we settled that. Shout out to the person who wrote that question. Once again, you can text us at one 
833-230-2860 so we can get more questions like that. We're going to get into our next question, which is more on being targeted in residency. Let's take another break. Let's pay those bills. If you're looking for a podcast that moves the health conversation outside of the box, then I highly recommend Healthy Conversations, the acclaimed podcast from CVS Health. Hosted by Dr. Daniel Kraft, the Harvard and Stanford trained physician scientist, Healthy Conversations provides cutting edge information about the forefront of medical practice. On each episode, Dr. Kraft sits down for one-on-one interviews with doctors and tech innovators who are transforming healthcare to address some of the most pressing issues. If you're looking for entrepreneurial inspiration, then I recommend their episode on how the NHS evolved to support physician entrepreneurs. This is where Dr. Kraft interviews Dr. Tony Young of England's National Health Service on medical innovation. Or listen to their recent conversation on neurodiversity with legendary animal behaviorist and autism advocate Temple Grandin. So look, don't miss out. Listen to Healthy Conversations from CVS Health. It's available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Link is in the show notes. All right, we back from the break. So listen, this is our second question that was submitted to us on Instagram. This question reads, I feel like I'm being targeted in residency. What should I do? Especially coming off of what we just talked about in our previous episode. This is important, right? Before we get into answering this, um, you know, there is a study or there's multiple studies. One recently that came out in JAMA um, that showed that up to anywhere between like 19 or 15 to like 28% or 30% of residents describe being bullied mm-hmm. in residency i think that's a, i think that number is low actually. i think that number is low too right and um obviously like we talked in a previous episode you know being bullied being targeted mm-hmm. um basically i think what this person is saying you feel like there are people who are kind of angling certain things yeah out either, to get you either to out to get you or to get you fired or they're bullying you in some form or fashion mm-hmm. and uh it is crazy that's something that you definitely have. i definitely experienced that. i could tell like yep. she's triggered by that as you can see how she's like mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm, word up yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna get y'all uh-huh y'all can tell right word up um so that is um that is an issue, right? So let's let's jump into this. Yeah. So I feel like I'm being targeted in residency. What should I do? I think it's a tough one. Will you want to jump on this? Well, I'll just tell you what I did. So you left your program. No. <laughs> no. Um, so part of it was yes that, um, but there was a very specific, and I think I talked about this on the show before. There was a very specific person who targeted me and that was an attending. Yes. That was an attending. This attending would berate me literally for no reason. I'd be standing there and he just all, ah! just decided he wants to berate me. And, um, finally I got fed up. And one day he berated me again in front of everybody. And it was over something that I didn't even do. He was yelling at me for something I literally did not even do. The resident who actually did the thing that he was upset about was sitting right there. But he decided to berate me instead. And that resident wasn't going to say nothing. Of course not. He's like, I'm going to sit here in a cut and let Renee take it. Exactly. Keep going. Of course not. 
Um, so that day I had 24 hour call and he was the attending on for the MFM service. And I called um, the chief of the GYN, <clears throat> excuse me, service, who was one of my mentors. And I said to her, you gonna fire me today. That's exactly how I answered the phone. She said, hello. I said, you gonna fire me today. And she said, uh-oh, what's wrong? And I told her what happened in, in the sign out. And I said, he got one more time to say something to me. And I promise I will throw this whole thing away. I promise I will lay hands on this man. I promise you. Because for me, you're not going to berate me. You're not going to, you know, disrespect me and think you're just going to get away with it after a while. After a while, I, I'm going to have to say something to you. So I said to her, it's either you tell him, don't call me, don't talk to me, don't even look at me, don't even think about me for the next 24 hours that I'm on or else he and I are definitely going to get into it. I promise you, I'm not holding my tongue anymore. I don't know what she said to him. That 24-hour period went by, and I never heard from him again. Um, so I kept some notes, actually, on what to do in these type of situations. And it's funny that you mentioned that story right there covers so many different things, mm -hmm. which is the first thing is you went to your, was it the chair or the department head? Uh, she was like a division chief. Okay, so I have one of my notes. I have, if you have a trusted friend or mentor, let them know and talk honestly about that, mm -hmm. which is what you did. So for the person who's listening out there, it's really good to make sure you have an ally or someone that you really trust. If you trust that person, and this person particularly is maybe in a leadership role mm -hmm. or is a mentor, let them know. Be very honest about it. Then the other thing that you said that's very interesting is act professional at all times, <laughs> right? So technically you did, but you possibly may not have. But the most important thing is that mm. you, the person who's listening, the person who wrote this in, <laughs> you got to act professionally at all times because a lot of times some of these folks may be trying to tempt you. And maybe trying to get you to act professional so they could be like, ah, I got it. Unprofessional. Unprofessional. Maybe. And then they kick you out. Or um, ultimately, it's kind of one of the, you know, when you have two people fighting and the person, and if you're, let's say you're a parent, mm -hmm. you have two kids fighting, the person who's going to get in trouble is the person who you see punch last right. or hit last or say something last. So if the last act is you as a resident acting mm -hmm. unprofessionally, it's not going to bode well for you. So yeah. I always say, just stay on the up and up no matter what you do. Act professional at all times. And I do think you can professionally diss someone, for the record. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I do all the time. But that day, I was like, ooh. Did you document anything at all? No, I did not document. Did you ever think about documenting? Yes, I did think about documenting. Because I thought after, after that period of time, I was like, if I don't start documenting and this continues and I blow up for whatever reason, then it's going to, it's going to blow back on me. So, um, I thought about documenting, but that individual ended up leaving the program shortly after that period of this time. This is your first year? No, this was actually in my second year. Oh, I didn't know this was, this was, this went on for two years. Year. What's his Oh yeah. Name? Where he at? Chavez. I'll say his name. His name is Chavez. Oh, that's cold. Damn, she calling him out. Yep. Yep. Oh, 
Oh, Doc's outside the box. We call him people Absolutely. Out. I mean, listen, if you don't have a problem doing this in public, it's, it's not private, right? This is not private interactions. These were public interactions. <laughs> Look at her face, guys. Right? Look at her. These were public, infer- public interactions. In. <laughs> she pissed. Yeah, listen, these were public interactions. If he didn't have a problem doing it in front of other residents, then I ain't got a problem saying who he was and where he worked and what he was. I don't have a problem with that. I'm sorry, no. Mm-mm. And if you didn't want to be known for that, then you shouldn't have done it. Moving on. Are you finished? <laughs> yep. Should we put, like, trigger warning? <laughs> nope. I'm not triggered. I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> Why you look scared? So, um, <laughs> document incidents as soon as they happen. Right? <laughs> yes, you should. Document. I agree. That's I one thing I should have done. That's one thing I should have done. Okay. My name is Darko. I'm not Chavez. Shut up. <laughs> All right. So document incidents as soon as they happen, y'all. Right. Um, And just so you guys know, like this is a major issue. This is one of the priorities of the ACGME. Um, So every residency program should have a way for you to either get in contact with your or make a complaint um, either through your program director or some type of compliance way where I can forget what it is. But there's a way that you should be able to um, uh, anonymously make these type of complaints or alert someone and let someone know what's going on Mm -hmm. um, that, hey, like, I feel like I'm being targeted and his example one, two, three, four, five, so that Mm -hmm. you can document it. Um, The next thing is do not react with emotion, right? I know it's so easy to do. You mean it's so hard to do? I know it's so easy Oh, to react with emotion. Can you? Sorry. Excuse me, before you get me triggered, (laughs) can you chill out? I thought you were saying it's easy to not react with emotion. All right, man, just chill. All right, let me say, let me talk my, you know what, right? (laughs) So do not react with emotions, y'all. All All right? Um, This goes down with act professionally at all times. The most important thing is to keep a level head so that you can think about all of the different actions that you can take. You think about all of the um, options that are available to you. You know, if you are hot-headed, you may not think about all the options and you may kind of just blow up on someone, like you said. You may not survive the night, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I I, I think about people who... So you got lucky. Your person left after their second year. Yes. But the person who has to deal with this for four years or five, for five years, years, ten or seven years. <laughs> right. Yeah. And this could be this. Although this question is being targeted in residency, there are people who could be targeted as attendings. Oh, absolutely. You know, or if you're in a private practice and you feel like, you know, the partners are probably bullying. Absolutely. You in some form yeah. Or, fashion. or maybe even people who are among the staff. Yeah. Are bullying you. Right. Absolutely. So that that could be an issue. I've definitely witnessed that. I have not had that particular experience, but I've definitely (coughs) seen people get bullied um, in the workplace for sure. So the effects of bullying on residents, people are saying low job satisfaction, depression, anxiety or anger, Mm -hmm. substance misuse, Mm -hmm. low self-confidence, burnout, quitting residency, which you almost did. Mm hmm. And the thing that I have really starred here, and I think ultimately this oftentimes becomes the root of the issue, is a continual cycle of bullying for next generation of students and doctors. Yeah. So basically hurt people hurt people, y'all. 
right? People got hurt back in the day and they're just like, well, because I got hurt and nobody stepped in, then I'm going to, you know, inflict that hurt onto somebody else, mm-hmm. which obviously we know in medicine makes no sense. But the question is, is who's got the guts to step up and say, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the MLK of this and I'm going to stop this right in the middle and stuff, right? I'm going to treat all residents of all kinds. Okay, okay, that's enough. Am I going too far? Y'all know where I'm going with this, right? But who's going to be that one person who's going to be like, look, I am stopping this. Enough! Right. And oftentimes, you know, a lot of people and, you know, the one thing about it that's so interesting about medicine is there's so much um, there's so much uh, like machismo sometimes that occurs in medicine or there's so much like um, uh, what's the word I want to use? Bloviating that occurs in medicine. But if you really think about it, people in medicine are cow words. Right. <laughs> People don't know how to step up to authority. They don't want to be the only person right. out there on front street. So if something somebody is going through something and they know damn well that their colleague is doing something wrong, a lot of times, a lot of times they may not say something. Mm-hmm. But if you make a complaint to your program director, your program director is what do you call it? Is their hand is forced. They have to right. take action on this. Sometimes you may even have to just go to your human resources department, right? right? Depending on what type of um, working type of situation that you're yeah. in, right? Like particularly like if you're employed by like the city, like some residencies, there's a or the state. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. some residencies where um, you're you're not employed by the school. You're employed by the state or you're employed by mm-hmm. the city. And as a result, like you're reporting to like the city um, bureaucracy and mm-hmm. so forth. But, you know, when you report something, you go through that. So right. that's just something to consider. Awesome. Yeah. I think, you know, like you said, in in training, you know, we are taught many things. We are taught how to take care of patients, but we are also taught how to teach the next you know, the next level of, of cohorts underneath us, right? And so the question becomes, well, what do you do? How do you teach these people? How do you treat these people, right? And yeah, hurt people hurt people, yeah. right? Um, and then you also have to think about the question of, okay, well, you need to teach people in such a way so that they understand the importance of the work that they're doing, that they understand the accountability that they need to have, right? Like that's really important because we we all know, we all have seen the resident who doesn't want to take accountability. And so you've been trying to teach this resident like, hey, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. And they're just like blowing you off. And then that's at the point where you're like, all right, like I can't be nice anymore. Like I literally just have to tell you that what you're doing is not good. Like you're literally not doing a good job. Here's the question. Does that person now feel bullied? Right. Right. Because it's all in the perspective. Right. So it's all in the perspective. So it's a question of how are you approaching people in in ways for you to have them improve on something versus you've given this person quite a number of opportunities, you know, to correct their, um, you know, correct their behaviors and they haven't done it. Yeah. Right. And they actually haven't done it. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, it's just, a slippery slope. I just want to be really clear with people, too, because I think people know what targeting is and they mm-hmm. know what bullying is. But there's some other other subtle 
um, ways that you can bully people. For example, like if you are a non-native language speaker. Oh, you can, you can be bullied by people making fun of you constantly, mm -hmm. having an accent, being an international medical graduate are mm -hmm. ways in which people can, yep. you know, give you a hard time. Yep. Being humiliated in front of patients. Yep. On rounds when you're trying to present and, you know, someone is clowning you, whether mm -hmm. it's your chief resident or your upper level or even just an attending, right? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you could be told to do procedures and you don't have any supervision. Mm -hmm. Right. So they just mm -hmm. go and put you in situations where they know you're going to fail. fail. Right. Right. And then I think also what goes without saying, and we're starting to see this. Right. There's also sexual mm -hmm. and physical harassment. Not also. starting. It's always been. Did I say starting? Yes. You said we're starting to see this. Sorry. But, well, yeah. what I meant to say is it's, it's coming out more and more. Right. Or people are reporting this more and more. It doesn't mean that it hasn't happened in the past. Right. But there is a sustained right. um, amount of sexual and physical harassment also. So yeah. there is subtle ways and then there's very overt ways in which you can target someone. Um, but for this person, what kind of advice would you give this person? Because I gave overall like force for the trees type of advice. What would you give no, I, to this person? I would give them pretty much the same advice. You know, um, the one thing that I would definitely, you know, kind of ex expand on is the thing, like you said, about be careful not to be baited into yes. being unprofessional, right? You you know me, I love that Godfather scene with Sonny, right? Don't be Sonny, right? You see how Sonny oh, gets- Sonny was a hothead, yeah. Sonny was a hothead. Sonny was a hothead, but his downfall was his predictability. Yes. It was his predictability. It was like, I know I can get you to do whatever. He was very easily manipulated and the brother-in-law manipulated him and that's why Sonny got killed. So don't be a sunny. Don't be so predictable that someone can literally bait you into doing something that is eventually going to be your downfall. Because if you become very predictable, then you're very easily manipulated. The other thing that I would say, too, for the one who's listening, who wrote this in, I would say ask questions, actually. Mm -hmm. If you feel like you're being targeted or let's just feel like you feel like there is an interaction that you just kind of feel is off kilter, ask a question and be like, hey, um, my presentation, did you have an issue of that? Did I say something wrong? Um, is there like, can I get some feedback on something like that? And I think what that does is it allows that person who possibly may be targeting you, who may be looking at you as a mark to be like, oh, this person is really keen on asking questions and feedback mm -hmm. as well as aware of like my reaction to this person is not for, is doesn't make sense. Right. So you I think, it me. no, but I think when you ask someone a question, like, Hey, do you have an issue? <laughs> Right, like, hey, I like, I, I, I did this presentation. I noticed that you made like some offhand comments because I've done that now. I do that a lot now. Mm -hmm. Like, people will make like these stupid snickering thing, and afterwards, I'll be like, hey, I saw that you were making these comments, and and like you were kind of snickering. Is there an issue? Like, did I say something that? And I feel like when I do that, that puts everything on your plate. Now you have to come back and react to me and say, well, why were you making these type of comments? Why were you doing these type of things? And yeah, it, you're doing that as an attending, but when you no, no, are, I did that. I did that as a resident too. Were right? you targeted? I don't know if I was targeted. Yeah, if you if you don't know that you were targeted, you probably were not targeted. And when you're targeted, you know you're targeted. You know, like there's no. So you're no, saying so you're saying if you're targeted, you wouldn't ask questions. I no. What I'm saying is that it's a difficult thing to know that you are being targeted, 
and to get out of the to get out of the realm of why is this person targeting me? Because that's the question you actually want to ask is, dude, why are you targeting me? Like, right? Because for me, I'm like, so my situation was this. She's triggered. I'm not triggered. My situation was this. The, the patient was placed on heparin. I signed out to the night team. You got to check her PT, PT. You got to check her, her coags overnight because she just started on heparin. That's before we all were doing all the eloquence and all this stuff now. Right. So I was like, you got to check her PTT. I come back. It's 12 hours later, 13 hours later. And I'm like, where's the PTT? Wasn't checked. Right. Nobody drew the lab. Right. And so what happened was, as we were signing out, that it wasn't checked, came up. And that's when the attending walked into the room to hear that it hadn't been checked. But he didn't know the situation. He didn't know that it was supposed to be checked by the night team, not by me, who was actually coming on. And so now he starts berating me. And I'm like, so the first thing is not, well, what do you think I should have done? Well, at this point. Right? But that's what right. I'm saying. Go ahead. Is that I see a, what you're saying. A, I target, a target usually is targeted for the stupidest reason. It's not, it's not an actual, it's not an actual reason. It's something that is completely stupid, right? It usually doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. as to why this person is targeted. Otherwise, it would just be feedback. Right. But it's not feedback. It's a beratement. It's a let me just find something, some nitpicky little thing for me to get on you about. And so for me, I'm like, that's easier said than done, because most oftentimes when you are being targeted, it is not because the person is actually trying to give you feedback. It's because they want to berate you and they want to humiliate you. And if you speak in that moment, what you're going to do is fuel them. To, to even be, to berate you even more. That's what I think. Mm. That's what I think. But I'm not a bully, right? right? So I, you know, for me, I wouldn't do that. Like if somebody really, if even if I went to, I had a resident once that I had to like really put in check because I had, I was training her to be on the night team and I kept telling her, okay, whenever we sign out, whenever we talk about labs, regardless of the fact that you are not taking care of these specific patients and you are delegated to L&D, you still need to, you know, you still need to keep track of all of the patients on the service. Okay. Right? And so we went a week like this and every day I would tell her the same thing. You have to check. You have to check. You have to check. You have to check. We went an entire week. And mind you, I was the second year or I was the third year actually. My fourth year was there. So my fourth year was the more senior person. My fourth year was like, I can't, I, I can't deal with her. I, ju I just can't deal with her. Okay. So now I'm left to be the one to tell her like, listen, you got to do this. So I did this for an entire week on night float and she refused to take accountability and check the labs. So I was checking my labs for my patients, checking her labs for her patients. I was doing all the work of the service until finally I was like, all right, what are we going to do about this? My fourth year, you know what she did? She went to bed. <laughs> Okay. And was like, you deal with it. 
So finally, I had to say to, to this resident, I was like, listen, if you're not going to do this and I'm going to take care of the entire service anyway, then I'm going to have to send you to bed and then just wake you up at six in the morning. Because if I'm doing all of the work anyway, we can't work like this. Now, she, you know, started tearing up and I'm like, no, I'm like, this is not about tearing up. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting on you because I just want to get on you. I'm getting on you because you need to understand the implications of what you are not doing. Okay, so you found an issue and right. you gave feedback. So, and I gave feedback. Right. I, I was not you. targeting her. And then finally, she was fixed after that. She knew exactly what to do. But that was constructive feedback, even though it was kind of like, yo, like, wake up. I wasn't trying to berate her. So I think the person who's listening should know, because sometimes it may be even hard to determine if they're being, because you can't tell if they're being targeted or not, right? They, or they may, not be able to, they may not be able to tell if they're being targeted or not, right? They're like, I, I just don't understand, right? But if you're getting feedback, that sounds more like being berated more so than getting feedback. If it right. doesn't sound constructive, then more than likely you might be targeted. Or sometimes, you know, it could be just a little bit oversensitive. Who knows, mm -hmm. right? But if there's this continual... Uh, amount of just feeling like, hey, I'm being berated or I feel like there's this big target on me, you might be on the right path. Right. I would say go back to, nobody likes my question answer then. <laughs> <laughs> I would go back to just making sure you document. I would also make sure that you go and speak to your program yeah. director about that. If you have a mentor that you can trust, i.e. what you did with your division chief, go to a, a trusted mentor, let them know what's going on, describe the situation for them and see if they can even give you an answer as mm -hmm. to what they think is going on and always act professional at all times. Yeah. So listen, this episode is actually going a little bit longer than what we wanted to Lots go. Lots longer. Um, so listen, guys, we appreciate all the questions that you submit. We are catching up on all of these questions that you guys are uh, letting us know about. We're going to get to them. But if you want to submit more questions, make sure you text us at 833... Oh, I lost the number. 833-230-2860. Or you can text us at, on, excuse me, text us on Instagram at Docs Outside the Box. Or third is go to the website, drneedarko.com. Go to the contact page and you'll see a, a paper there or a document there that you can fill out and submit a question there with you all. Okay? So I appreciate y'all. We appreciate y'all. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Peace. Peace. We'll get therapy for Renee. <laughs>